We're being shaken up at the moment. Shaken up by coronavirus causing death to stare us in the face more closely than usual. Shaken up by our lives being rather disrupted. Shaken up by businesses being in trouble and the economy taking a, taking a nosedive. By maybe your work being in trouble and your salary being threatened. Shaken up by reports of coronavirus potentially causing starvation on a big scale in some parts of the world. And by all of this, threatening and causing instability in the area of national peace, international relations. There's an awful lot of shaking up going on. What's going on? How are we to understand it? Well, this morning I want to give an explanation from the Bible and then from that give two ways that we should respond to this. So that's what we're doing this morning, an explanation of what is going on with all this shaking up and then two ways we should respond. We're going to do this differently from normal. Normally we're working through one part of the Bible and we work through verse by verse and see what that part of the Bible has to say. We're not going to be in any one part of the Bible. We're going to look at different places and use them to see a message you get across the teaching of the Bible. So we're going to start with an explanation of what is happening as the world is being shaken up. So first, the first thing we're hearing is God shakes us up. God shakes us up. Across the Bible, we are told that God takes action to shake people up. And I want to give you a flavour of that from three parts of the Bible. And the first is the Old Testament prophets. Now, children, I hope you're listening. Here's something for you to do at home. I mean to do now. Uh, adults, you may find it helpful and probably the children will need some help with it. If you find the beginning of the prophets, it's Isaiah chapter one. See if you can find Isaiah chapter one. And put your finger in it. Comes just after the Song of Songs, Isaiah chapter one. Stick your finger in that and keep your finger in it and then try to find that bit that comes between Malachi and Matthew. You might have a spare page between Malachi and Matthew. In other words, find the end of the Old Testament and stick a finger in that. Have you managed it? Now, what have you got between your fingers? You've got the Old Testament prophets. And what do you notice about it? It's quite a big chunk of the Bible. In fact, if I now put my thumb at the end of Revelation, I can see that it's basically the same as the whole of the New Testament. In fact, I've already worked it out in my Bible. It's only four pages different from the whole New Testament. The Old Testament prophets are a big chunk of the Bible and we mustn't ignore their message. And we find this message in the Old Testament prophets. We find God is kindly patient. Israel and the other nations were repeatedly sinning and God, out of kind patience, sends them prophets. And he urges them to turn from their sins. And he warns them their sin will bring judgment on them, so turn. And he warmly invites them, come to me. To receive forgiveness and love. And year after year after year, he does this. He's so kindly patient. But the people are so hard-heartedly stubborn. And so eventually God speaks louder. 
They're not listening to words. So he speaks louder through actions. Let's get an example of this. I'm going to turn to Amos chapter 3. If you can find Amos, that will help you. If you can't, don't worry. Just listen. It goes Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos. Amos chapter 3. I'll read you verses 4 to 6. Does a lion roar in the thicket where he has no prey? Does he growl in his den when he has caught nothing? Does a bird fall into a trap on the ground where no snare has been set? Does a trap spring up from the earth where there is nothing to catch? When a trumpet sounds in a city, do not people tremble? When disaster comes to a city, has not the Lord caused it? Now, I, I will admit the prophets spoke in a funny way, didn't they? But here's what it means. He's giving pairs. And in each pair, there's a first thing that when that happens, the second thing follows shortly. The first thing tells you the second thing is going to happen soon. So in verse four, imagine you're in Africa and you're walking down a path in the countryside and in the bush next to you, you hear the roar of a lion. Do you have time to escape? Well, yes, just about. But you better be quick if a lion's roaring next to you. And so verse four has the lion roaring and then soon he's going to be growling in his den with his food because he's got you. Or in verse six, we have. Uh, imagine back then you were in a city. It's a walled city and it has lookouts and you hear the lookout sound the trumpet. He's warning the enemy is approaching. Well, you'd better do something quickly, run quickly, because if the trumpet has sounded, you've got time to run, but only a little. The enemy must be near. The trumpet sounds, verse six, and soon, verse six, disaster will come on the city. And Amos is saying here in the sort of language that prophets used, God has been speaking quietly, gently, and you've been ignoring him. And now these troubles you are experiencing is God speaking louder. He's blowing his trumpet. And do notice at the end of verse six. The disasters they were facing weren't just random. They weren't just accidents. God was behind them with a purpose. The pattern throughout the prophets is God warned with words. He spoke louder with actions. Sadly, the people usually stubbornly stayed in their own way. And so finally, judgment fell on them. That's the Old Testament prophets. Uh, let's turn to a second part of the Bible. What do we find in the New Testament? Well, we find that God hasn't changed. That's good news. God hasn't changed. He's still kind. He's still patient and he still speaks. Back then through prophets, now through his word we have in the Bible. And he gives us people to explain it and to preach it to us. And he invites us to turn from our ways to him and to enjoy his love. And he warns us there is judgment ahead. So turn from your ways and live. That's good news. God hasn't changed. But sadly, human hard hearted stubbornness hasn't changed either. So many people carry on in their own ways. Let's think about us. Do you remember the message we heard last Sunday morning from Seth? Children, were you listening? Did you remember it? It was about treasure. What was it about treasure? It was about a place not to store up treasure. Where was that? Oh, 
Jesus said in Matthew 6, don't store up treasure on earth because it's fragile, because you lose it, because it breaks, because it goes out of date. And, well, we should have already learnt that from so many experiences. The 2008 financial crash, that should have taught us you could lose your money so easily. Some people remember the 1990s recession. That should have taught us you can lose your job so easily. A little bit older, and you may remember 1970s inflation. That tells you you can lose your savings so easily. If you're really getting on in years, you might remember the Cuban Missile Crisis, and that tells us the whole world can be shaken quite easily. God has taught us so many times treasures on earth are fragile and unreliable. But we don't learn. We keep on storing up treasure on earth. We keep on putting our focus here. We keep on building our lives on sand that we try to persuade ourselves is solid rock. And so God speaks louder. And you see that in Revelation chapter 8 and 9, the uh, chapter that we read earlier that Alistair read to us. Revelation chapters 8 and 9. Now, as soon as you turn to Revelation, you get a problem because cranks have used Revelation uh, to say any trouble happening in the world means the world's about to end. So they said that about the bubonic plague centuries ago and about Napoleon conquering Europe and about World War II. And they say it about coronavirus. Oh, it means the world's about to end. That isn't what Revelation says. It's a misuse of Revelation. Revelation isn't giving you a prediction of specific events just before the world ends, at least not normally. Most of Revelation is giving you characteristics of history from when Jesus returned to heaven until when he returns to earth. And chapters eight and nine tell us that history will be characterised by troubles. In picture language, because again, we're back to prophecy. This is a type of prophecy in Revelation. In picture language, it tells us about troubles like plagues. We'd call them pandemics and environmental troubles and wars. And it calls them trumpets. Now, children, have you heard a trumpet? I expect that sometime you've heard a trumpet and I expect you can think what it sounds like. It's loud, isn't it? And when back then would they have used a trumpet? Oh, to warn. The watchman on the city walls would use it to warn. There's an enemy coming. There's trouble coming. And God is saying here in Revelation chapters eight and nine that these troubles are to warn us. They warn us he's not some pushover God who sits up in heaven at a distance and just chuckles at us. Oh, aren't they mischievous? God is speaking louder to warn us there is a final judgment and we need to turn from our sins to him to be ready for it. God shakes things up now to shake us up to be ready for the final shaking up he's going to do. That's why we read Hebrews 12. We won't turn to it now, but did you notice in Hebrews 12, it talked about God is one day going to shake everything up for one last time. He's going to shake the whole universe and only one kingdom will survive that shaking up. And it's not the United Kingdom, nor the USA, nor China. 
It's the kingdom of God. Well, I've tried to give you a flavour of two parts of the Bible there, the prophets, revelation. And let's look at a third place, because Jesus tells us something very similar in Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13 that we read a few minutes ago tells us Jesus lived at the time of a very cruel Roman governor. He was called Pontius Pilate. Children, I'm sure you've heard of Pontius Pilate. Very cruel man. We read here he just executed some people and then he mixed their blood with the Jewish sacrifices to show just how much he despised the Jewish people. What a cruel man. And people brought this news to Jesus and they asked him about it. They asked him, they were wondering, did this mean that these were especially wicked people? And Jesus' answer was clear, no. No, things don't work as simply as that. And you're asking the wrong question. The question is not, were these especially wicked people getting what they deserve? The question is, what should I do? In response to such news. And Jesus tells us what to do. Repent. Turn from going your way following sin to going God's way trusting him. That's in verse 5. Luke 13 verse 5. Unless you repent you too will all perish. Unless you repent you too will all perish. What does just what does Jesus mean here by perishing? We've got to repent so we avoid perishing. Well, he's not just speaking about physical death. That would make no sense at all. He, saying repent of sin so you don't die like those people, when he's just said they didn't die because they were particularly sinful, that would be well, a nonsensical statement. Jesus is warning about a perishing that is beyond death. Let's think about that word perish. Significant word used in various places in the Bible. Children, when I was young, I loved going to my granny and granddad's house. We had fun at my granny and granddad's house. I loved it there. But things in their house were rather like them, old. So uh, they used to have this set of drawers and, and that's where they kept all the things that you might want. And I go to the drawers and get out. I want a rubber band to put around this pack of cards. Oh, there are all these rubber bands, but they weren't stretchy. Something had gone wrong with them. They were old and perished. Or I would go to draw a picture and I'd get something wrong. I want to rub it out. I remember my granny seemed to only have one rubber and it was like powder. It didn't work. It had perished. Well, Jesus spoke about perishing. And he also spoke about a, a place called hell where people perish. And it doesn't mean cease to exist. It means cease to be what God has made you for. God made us the image of God. And I know that's spoiled very much in us now, but there's still something of it there. But in hell, it's completely stripped away. We've got these sinful hearts, uh, but thankfully God restrains them. But in hell, the restraints are taken off. The humanity is gone. What a horrible thought. What a horrible place. Jesus is saying here, when you hear news of people dying, it's a trumpet warning you, repent. Repent to avoid the perishing that comes after death. Well, I've given there an explanation of what's going on when the world is shaking as it is now. Let's move from that to 
Two things we should do in response to it. Two ways we should respond to God shaking the world. Here's one of them. Get into the kingdom that cannot be shaken. You and I must make sure we get into the kingdom that cannot be shaken. Are you building your life on a shaky foundation? Is it all about enjoying yourself and being comfortable and what you possess and what you can do? Are you building a life that is about your work or your business or your money or your status or your success? Well, you're building a life that will be so easily shaken because God is shaking all those things. Doesn't coronavirus make it obvious? God is shaking all those things. And if your life is all about them or based on them, it's going to get shaken. We read Hebrews 12 earlier because it says one day God is going to shake everything except his kingdom. So the obvious thing we all need to do is get into his kingdom. How do you get into his kingdom? Well, the answer is simple. How do you get into his kingdom? Well, you better bow to and trust in the king. God makes it clear the king of his kingdom is his son, Jesus. One of my favourite parts of the Bible is Psalm 2. Psalm 2 tells us about Jesus being king of the unshakable kingdom. It tells us about Jesus being a king who will one day shake the nations. It's a pretty warlike psalm, but it ends beautifully. It ends by telling us to kiss the king. You know how in the olden days, if you were an outlaw and and you recognised that you couldn't defeat this king, you couldn't escape from this king, you'd come and you'd kiss his hand and you'd plead for mercy. It's that sort of picture. And then it says these words. It says, blessed is the person who takes refuge in him. He's going to shake up the nations, but you can be safe if you take refuge in him. I was camping in the Cairngorms once. Uh, Children of the Cairngorms, if you haven't heard of it, is a, a beautiful mountain range in Scotland. And there in the Cairngorms, where we were camping, was this massive shelter stone. Great big stone. From what I remember, it was bigger than a house. But there's a little hole underneath that you can squeeze in and then it opens out. And you're underneath this stone and you're sheltered. If there's any storm, there's no way that a storm is going to get in there. There's no way that rock is ever going to be shaken. There's no lightning will ever crack that rock open. You're sheltered. You've got a refuge rock. And Psalm 2 is saying Jesus is the refuge rock. In the shakings of life and death, you're sheltered in him. Now, that rock... Uh, It's rather convenient. It's in such a position you can shelter under it. But of course, the rock never purposed it. The rock doesn't welcome you in. In the rock has no intentions towards you. But Jesus has made himself the refuge rock on purpose. He went to the cross to take our sin, to pay our debt. He went to the cross to shelter us from the anger of God that should rain down on us. He's purposely become our refuge rock. He's the unshakable rock, but he's certainly not got a stone-like hard heart. He, He lovingly, he warmly 
welcomes you to him. He says, come and shelter. He even, as well as saying he's the refuge rock, says he's like a, he's like a hen who would, who would love to shelter you warmly, closely under his wings. Are you safely sheltering in him? Have you received his invitation? Are you ready for the day when God shakes everything by being in the kingdom that is unshakable? Have you turned from your way, building your life on sand, to his way, in Jesus the refuge, building your life on him, the rock? It's your reliance on him. And if it is, here's one more response for those who are safely sheltering in Jesus. One more response, and it's this. Pray for people to be shaken. If you're safely sheltering in Jesus, pray for people to be shaken. Does that surprise you? Christian brothers and sisters, what are you praying about COVID-19? I hope you're praying about it. There are many good things to pray for it. Are you praying we'd return to normal soon? I wouldn't be surprised because it's a right pain being in lockdown, isn't it? And there are so many troubles. Praying that we'd return to normal. What do you mean by normal? Are you just eager that we get back to how things were at the start of the year? I think that would be a mistake. That would be a waste of all this pain and trouble. Because we should be praying for people to be shaken enough to get them running to the refuge rock. And that might require a lot of shaking to get people to run to Jesus. Here's an example. Children, do you know about World War II? Do you know what brought World War II to an end? Uh, I don't mean here in Europe. It hadn't ended when Germany surrendered because it was still going on in the Pacific. What brought it to an end there? Oh, some might answer it was... America dropping that atomic bomb on Hiroshima. No, actually, that didn't end it. That didn't bring the Japanese to surrender. They had to drop a second bomb, one on a town called Nagasaki. And then that brought the Japanese to surrender. It took a second bomb to do it. Now, I am not at all commenting on the rights or wrongs of atomic bombs or on the politics of World War II. I am simply illustrating that... Sometimes it takes a lot to bring people to surrender. Sometimes one lot of shaking up doesn't do it. They need to be shaken up more. Us humans are stubbornly hard-hearted. And it can take a lot to make us surrender to God. To give up our pretense that we are in control, building our lives our way and we will make it work. That can take a lot of shaking. And we should be praying, God, do what it takes to get people running to Jesus, the refuge rock. Now, I know COVID-19 is causing a lot of pain and trouble and death. And we certainly shouldn't be wanting suffering. And I'm certainly finding lockdown a pain and want it to be over. And so we should be like those Old Testament prophets, back to them again. They prayed for God to act in power and to turn people to him and to show up sin for what it is and to show that he wasn't some absentee landlord who just stayed at a distance while people wrecked his property. 
They prayed for him to do that. But they also loved people. Well, isn't this, this is love for people. This is love for people because they need to get to the refuge rock. But at the same time, you can weep over their suffering. That's what the prophets did. They wept over their suffering and they prayed for people who were hit by troubles. How could they do both? Well, because they believed in God who knows how to run his world. God who is full of mercy and so full of mercy, he's determined not to leave us as we are, but to shake us up, to get us to Jesus, the refuge rock. So what are you praying about COVID-19? Here's, here's another way of thinking about it. Which would you prefer? The UK back as it was in January this year. Rich, comfortable, feeling fairly secure and killing unborn babies, rife with sexual immorality and shaking its fist in God's face. Or the UK is a country that's shaken up, poor and weak, and, and maybe your life made a lot less comfortable. But it's been shaken into repenting, no longer killing unborn babies, no longer promoting immorality and now fearing God. Which would you prefer? If you think realistically about what it might do to your life, that might be difficult to answer. But which would you prefer? And if your answer is the first one. then to be blunt, you're part of the problem. And you need shaking up to get your priorities in line with God. In the refuge rock Jesus and wanting his glory.